I'm grateful for all of you who would come out uh, on a hot Thursday morning to the wind tunnel that is known as the Camp Psyker Auditorium. Uh, I just, I've, I've been tempted to have all of you married couples stand up, you know, and go all Titanic on us here. Ladies, put your arms out. Husbands, put your arms around them and just let the breeze come over you. Who need, air conditioning's overrated, if you ask me. And I, I love coming to this space, all joking aside, grateful uh, for what God does in me. I'm grateful for Bert and for John and the wonderful and powerful messages that they've been delivering, studied, John's been delivering. I, I, I gotta be honest, I'm, I'm so far, I've got the perfect attendance sticker uh, for, for all of the services. I'm, I'm unfortunately not gonna get my badge at the end because I'll miss the last two services, but I, I, I hope that as you've come to each service wanting to hear from God through the word that you've experienced that, as John has encouraged us to sit on the end of our seat and, and wait for God to speak to us. He's done that for me. And, but I just want to thank these guys, uh, brothers and friends, and for the word that they're sharing with us. You know, uh, storytelling really does matter. And it's important for us as believers to not only tell his story, uh, but our own story of, of faith in him. I think back to 20 plus years ago when I would come to camp meeting and the evangelists were these amazing orators. And they could just paint pictures with uh, the messages that they preached, the way that they, and, and you know, now here you are, Steve from the hood, sometimes you don't even get a complete sentence and, and you're wondering, you know, how in the world is this gonna help me? And, and I thank God for his Holy Spirit, he's the one that helps it land on your heart anyway, uh, whether it's beautiful oratory or, or me, uh, with five conjunctions in every sentence, and they all run on, and yet you still seem to figure it out, and you've been encouraging, and, and I'm grateful for that, and it means a lot, because either way, with beautiful oratory or this, it's important to tell the story, his story, but it, and also telling our story, your story, because your story brings alive his story. It's not just some fable or fairy tale that we've read about that happened 2,000 years ago and we all continue to just love this old antiquated book that we blow the dust off of and read the stories again. These stories are alive and they make a difference in our story today. And so I want to take you to a passage today that I'm not sure if it's ever been preached in a holiness camp meeting. Uh, John chapter 1, now you say John chapter 1, everybody preaches that. Well, it's a part of the story that perhaps uh, you've never considered before in your story. Now, when I'm reading the Bible, one of my favorite things to read about are the one-on-one face-to-face encounters Jesus has with individuals. And there are so many stories in the Bible like that. And there's a lot to learn from these personal discussions with Jesus. Uh, Bert gave us a great example of that when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well one-on-one. And, and I, wanna, I wanna talk to you today about not only this story, but the overall story of John's gospel. Uh, John's gospel was all about the deity of Christ. 
Now, we can hear that word deity, and it sounds like a very churchy word, and indeed it is, and, and we might automatically say, big deal, deity of Christ, good for you, Jesus, proud of you, you know, you got to be deity, I got a second place trophy in Little League, you know, what, what do those have to do with each other? And yet it's the most important part of the gospel story, that Jesus was in fact God himself, and that everything he did was informed by that reality that he was God with our skin on, living in our existence and ultimately paying our price. And John wants to make sure we get that. But one of the stories that he includes throughout his gospel, at least in the beginnings, was the calling of the disciples in his early ministry. And John tells this story beginning with verse 43 in chapter 1. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, well, I saw you while you were un- still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. But you'll, you shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is the story, the one-on-one encounter between Nathaniel and Jesus. And today I want to talk to two people. First, I want to talk to the skeptic, uh, the person who might have been invited here or wandered in here this morning who's still struggling with the reality of who Jesus is and what he has to do with their life. And the second person I'd like to talk to is the person who talks to skeptics. That would be the rest of us. Those of us who have relationship with somebody who's not sure they really believe this whole Jesus story. And that because of that, not sure they fully grasp your story in the midst of it. Because here's the deal what we're learning from Jesus' one-on-one encounter, specifically this encounter with Nathaniel. A skeptic needs someone to tell them the truth. Somebody to awaken them to at least the reality of or the existence of this story about Jesus. Now, if you press rewind in the passage, John affirms Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He is, in fact, God in the flesh who all people were looking forward to seeing. So Andrew, one of John's followers, leaves him to follow Jesus. And Andrew found Peter and introduced him to Jesus. And then Jesus then calls Philip. And the first thing Philip does is find Nathaniel to introduce him to Jesus. I mean, there's a whole lot of how do you do, how do you do, what's up, bro, and they meet each other. And here's the bottom line. 
everyone needs someone to introduce them to Jesus. We all can be that person who just says, I want to introduce you to the one who's totally transformed the way I look at the world and my life. Here's the thing, though. Not everyone wants to meet him. I mean, that's the reality. Not everyone wants to meet Jesus. Nathaniel had some prejudicial baggage that hindered his ability to sign on to Jesus' team. Yet he never would have had the opportunity to even consider the importance of meeting Jesus had Philip not taken the time to seek him out and make the introduction. At the moment Philip met Jesus, it was on his mind, it was on his heart. He was actually excited about telling somebody else who he'd met. And I have to say, on a hot Thursday morning in August in Mount Vernon, Ohio, I sometimes wonder how excited we are about this Jesus that we know and whether or not there's someone out there that's on our mind right now that we need to introduce to him. Is there anyone in your life that you care about so much that you want them to know your story of meeting Jesus and perhaps introducing them to Jesus as well? Sometimes we write off skeptical people instead of telling them the story of Christ. And, and there's good reason for that. I mean, if you're just looking at it from a human standpoint, our culture tries to condition us to avoid controversial subjects like faith and religion. You know, that's supposed to be kept in your church. That's supposed to be kept in your own house. Honestly, some people think that's supposed to be kept in your own mind and your heart and not to be shared with others. Some would even go as far as saying that you shouldn't be, here it is, indoctrinating your children with this story. This is the world that we live in, and as a result, we sometimes bow down to culture's pressure and we keep our story and his story to ourselves. So instead of engaging people in conversations about faith, we avoid them. Because let's face it, offending people right now is the unpardonable sin. Not allowed to offend anybody, in, in, in intentionally or unintentionally. I mean, if you happen to say something and someone gets offended, get a lawyer. Because that's the way our world is right now. There's, it's amazing how heightened the sensitivity is to disagreement. And, and as a result, we are so concerned about that that we say, well, I don't want to push my religion on anybody. So I'm just going to keep my story to myself because apparently I, I, I would lose them as a friend or I would offend them and be put in jail or something. You see, we leave people without the truth about Christ's forgiveness and love and grace and salvation so we don't offend them. Even though all through the Bible, particularly the New Testament, it tells us that when we embrace this story by faith and we have this transformation in our life, we will be marginalized by society and it's all of a sudden like some new thing we've just discovered. When he promised us that would happen. And I just got to let you know that was not Philip's strategy with Nathaniel. That's not what he did. Notice Philip's approach. All he did was tell him who he had found and why he believed in him. 
We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He knew Nathanael and therefore shared his personal story of meeting Jesus, putting it in the context of their shared faith in the scriptures. In other words, finding that common ground and using that as the stepping stone into a conversation about Jesus. You see, this is what the skeptics need, men and women. Someone to care enough to be willing to take a relational risk to tell them their personal story of meeting Jesus. Now, we'd like to think, you know, because we're friends with people, that we might approach life a little bit differently and we're actually interested in their perspective. You know, that's what friends do. We just talk and we find out the stuff we agree on, we're similar in, but we also find out the differences, the backgrounds we come from, the things that we like, I like steak, you like hot dogs, whatever it is. And ultimately, something this important, I believe, is not something that we who believe in it should keep to ourselves. The skeptic can't really argue with your personal story because it's your story. You know, they can try to debate you, but you know what you experience, and you're just simply telling them how this all came to be, how you came to discover Jesus, and how you came to believe in Jesus, and what you believe Jesus has done in your life. It's not really something you'll find many people debating with is your story. But at least they need someone to deliver the message. Someone to put the truth in their head so they can at least consider it on their own, even if they don't admit to you in that moment they're considering it. Or even contemplating it. Or even arguing with it in their own mind. Without someone telling the skeptic, they will simply go on doubting and go on without knowledge or go on completely lost without any hope. You know, this happened to me about 13 years ago. Um, a, a, a young lady, mom, wife in our church um, was telling Stephanie and I just about her husband's lack of faith. He uh, was an IT specialist for uh, the Lilly Pharmaceutical Company, really smart guy. And, and she said, you know, he just can't wrap his head around this whole thing and, and doesn't agree with that. I said, well, you know, we, let's go to dinner and see if we can strike up a conversation about this stuff. I mean, I'm a preacher. It'll come up kind of naturally. And, and so we did. We went out to dinner, and, and Robert and I uh, started chatting. And, and I just said to him, you know, hey, Robert, you know, Marcy comes to our church. What, what, what's your story? And, you know, he knew, you know, he knew the context of the question, and he was open why he hadn't believed and why he doubted. Uh, he didn't shut it down. He didn't tell me that I was some kind of gremlin for bringing it up. Uh, we simply had a conversation about it. Now, here's the interesting thing that I didn't know. We go back to their house, and, and, and to drop them off, we drove, and he said, hey, he said, by the way, I read some book, and I'd like to uh, give it to you to read so you can tell me what you think. And I'm like, okay. And he hands me this book, The Reason for God. Now, I'm thinking to myself, and at that time I hadn't heard of that book, and, and I'm thinking to myself, well, this is interesting. I, I, that title, I, I find it interesting. Robert read this, and he told me the story that he's at work on his computer working on all of the things you do when you're an IT specialist for a large pharmaceutical company, and this ad came up for this book. And he said, I'll be honest with you, I, I never search for anything religious, so I have no idea 
why this book came up here as an ad, and he said, and it's a bigger mystery why I clicked on it and bought it. But I did. And so he gave it to me to read. Well, I hadn't read it before, hadn't heard of it before, and I read it, and I brought it back to him, and I said, hey, Robert, here, I'm going to give this back to you. Thanks for that, but tell me why you don't believe after reading this. And he said, you know, I don't know. I don't fully understand it, but all I know is this. After we had dinner and we had this engagement, Robert started coming to church with Marcy. And it wasn't too long till I'm finishing up a sermon, coming down off of the platform, and here comes Robert. He comes up to me. He said, hey, by the way, I just want you to know that today I realize that I do believe. And that was it. That was his major conversion story. I realize today that I do believe. And every Sunday morning now, as I'm sitting on the front row waiting for my turn, and I look up on the stage, and I see Robert, the IT specialist from the large pharmaceutical company, playing his guitar in the worship band, I thank God that I took the time to at least open up the door with this skeptic to tell his story and my story, because Robert has eternal life. A skeptic needs to hear his story and your story. So men and women, I'm, I'm asking you, don't give up on the skeptics in your life. Pray for opportunities and create opportunities to tell his story and your story. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is that they don't agree with your explanation of your story and his story, but, but don't give up praying for the courage and the opportunity Look, you don't have to be a professional evangelist to do this. This is just you having a conversation with somebody you know, perhaps someone you love. And, and notice in the midst of all of this that Nathaniel was not completely close-minded. Look at a couple of the verses of the story again. Verse 46, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. And verse 48, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked Jesus. You see, this is the thing that I want to encourage you with this morning, is that a skeptic still has the door open at least a crack. At least a crack. Now, there is a difference between a skeptic and a critic. And, and I want to make sure we, we all get that. A critic has made up their mind. They're close-minded. Even some critics can still have the door opened a crack, but there's a difference between the critic who just wants to lay the wood to us and the skeptic who is at least leaving the door open a little bit. They're not yet convinced. They haven't yet embraced the proof that's before them, but they're still open. And we can often write off the skeptic because of the questions they ask us instead of allowing the questions to be a bridge to a conversation with them. In other words, the questions that they ask are actually a good thing. Now, here's what happens, is that a lot of believers are intimidated by the questions, that they won't have this magnificent, intellectually stimulating answer to the question that would be asked. Listen, I'm just going to be honest with you, men and women. I'm not here because I'm smart. And I realize that there are many times that I have to say to a person who asks me a question, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm gonna do my best to find out the answer to that question. But what we do is we freak out 
We try to avoid this topic because we're afraid we won't be able to answer their questions instead of allowing their questions to be the bridge to a second conversation. I mean, it can be almost better that you don't know the answer, so you have to go find it out and give you a second time to talk, about them, talk to them, and it lets the Holy Spirit begin to marinate that message on their heart and their mind. If Nathaniel was a closed-minded critic, he wouldn't have asked, he would have declared. He would have said, nothing good comes from Nazareth. But instead, he asked a question, can anything good come from Nazareth? Or he would have said to Jesus, you don't know me. Instead, he asked him a question. How do you know me? The fact that he was willing to ask any question about Jesus showed that he had an open mind toward a thoughtful, meaningful answer to those questions. Now, sure, he didn't readily receive Philip's story right at the beginning, but he kept the conversation open with his questions. And that's why we should never give up. He gave Philip the opportunity to answer his questions and the opportunity for Philip to at least introduce him to Jesus. He left the door open, willing to hear Jesus out, willing to hear the evidence that he is real. Now, sometimes we label a skeptic a critic because they have questions, and oftentimes they can ask those questions in a very sarcastic or cynical way. I've been that guy. Matt Brooks would tell you I am that guy. But don't write off a skeptic as a critic before you offer some answers to their questions, even their cynical questions, because you might find that they are more open than you think. I, I remember when I was living in Lancaster, I was a member of the Rotary Club there. I've always joined the Rotary Club in every town I've ever been in. It allows me to get outside of the religious bubble that is my church community and actually meet people who are in the community. And, and also, it's a wonderful organization that does tremendous service locally and around the world. And, and so I put myself in a position to actually meet unbelievers instead of sanitizing my entire environment. And, and I always often, I should say, often sat uh, with my friend Pat. And Pat was from a different faith than me for sure. And oftentimes, he would bring it up. You know, again, you got preacher on you, so it's just natural that they ask the, the questions many times just to sort of make fun of you. And so I just go ahead and make fun of me, and then all the defenses are down, and here we go. And, and Pat uh, had, had some questions about my faith and asked Asked them, and I honestly don't know how well I answered them, but what I found interesting is that simply by engaging him and being open to engage him in a conversation about faith, he became more and more interested till at one point, we're sitting there over our meatloaf and green beans talking, and he says, hey, I, do you have any kind of like a book I can read every day that might tell me something about Jesus? And I'm like, sure, I'll, be, I'll bring one next week. And so I bring the next week my utmost for his highest, and he reads it like two weeks, comes back in, throws it on the lunch table, and says, I can't do that. I said, yeah, maybe I was a little ambitious with that particular book. And so I gave him something that was probably a little more remedial. Um, I'm not going to tell you the author, because then you'll go tell the author, and then he'll think that I think he's remedial. 
But, but the bottom line was, Pat got all interested in the faith simply because he and I were able to have a friendly conversation about who we are and what we believe, and specifically what we believe about Jesus Christ. And there he began to long for him, to know him, and to engage him. You see, skeptics, I want to say to you today, if you're one of them, I'm praying that you'll keep the door open a crack, that you'll at least consider these claims that the Bible makes about Jesus Christ. It's kind of like, you know, the, the hotel eye hole. And the knock comes, and, and let's face it, don't be crazy and open the door without looking through the eye hole, people. There's my free advice for today. I didn't bring that originally, so you can have that. At least, then, you got the little bar on there that you can open the door a crack, you know, so you can peek out. For all the skeptics in the room, I, I just want you to keep the eye hole in your life. Keep that little crack open a little bit so that you can at least consider what it is the Christian faith is talking about. You, you might find something new to point you to the answers that you're looking for, big answers that you're looking for about all of life, why you're here, why you live and breathe, and what it is that sin and salvation is all about. But to the Christ follower in this wind tunnel today, don't give up when the skeptics in your life don't immediately jump to your invitation to meet Jesus. It does not have to defeat you. The fact is, the Bible's pretty clear that the vast majority of them probably won't meet Jesus. And that's sometimes disheartening. I mean, none of us like to be a telemarketer who picks up the phone and gets no 20,000 times a day. But the fact is, there's that one person that when you share him and your story with him, then you find out that they actually do have the door open a crack and may actually open the door and let you in to a deeper, more meaningful conversation. Just offer whatever you can when they look through that crack in the door. And here's the thing Nathaniel's face-to-face -face proofs. Let's jump down again to verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Well, how do you know me, Nathanael asked, and Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You see, this is what I, I, I want to make sure we all understand because we put an immense amount of pressure upon ourselves when it comes to this idea of sharing Jesus' story in our story. But the bottom line is, a skeptic is ultimately convinced by Jesus himself. Not you, but by Jesus himself. It was impossible for you to ultimately come to the place where you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Just that one sentence alone has about five theological principles in it that only the Holy Spirit could have helped you believe in the first place. And notice in John's account of the one-on-one -on -one encounter, it wasn't Philip's conversation with Nathaniel that convinced him. It was Jesus himself. Jesus essentially answered Nathaniel's real questions about him with some supernatural proof. First, Jesus declares he knows all about Nathanael, 
and he even honors him with two observations. A true Israelite and a man of integrity. Now, Nathaniel knew he had never met, personally met Jesus before. So how could he know those two things about him? Well, let's be honest, people. Anybody could say those two things about somebody. You know, roll the dice, maybe it's true, and woohoo, there we go. Well, this is where Jesus becomes convincing. I saw you under the fig tree before Philip ever found you. And Nathaniel knew he had been under a fig tree. How in the world, when he knew Jesus came from far away into that moment, could he have possibly known that he had been under this fig tree? He hadn't seen Philip again until this encounter. So how could he know? Well, apparently Philip found Nathaniel under a fig tree and Jesus wasn't there. And that's how just a little thing like that was enough of a miraculous ideal for ultimately Nathaniel to believe. He, had, he at least knew he had some kind of supernatural ability. And for Nathaniel the skeptic, that was enough for him. I mean, here, here's the important thing. Sometimes we think it's gonna take a boatload of evidence to convince someone when they maybe just need that one thing to show them the way to the truth, to help them believe. The Spirit of God takes that one truth about Jesus and his story and makes it real in the heart of a person. Now, if you dig into Jesus' response to this, you'll honestly feel like he was somewhat humored by Nathaniel believing with so little evidence. So just in case, he makes him a promise. If you think the fig tree example is convincing, Wait until you hang out with me for a while. You're going to see all kinds of stuff. That's nothing like knowing you were under a fig tree. In reality, Jesus' real presence was so powerful and compelling that Nathaniel couldn't help but believe. Now again, on a, on a warm Thursday morning, when you aren't hearing anything new, you're just being reminded of stuff that perhaps you've already been told a million times before, this is actually really encouraging. To know that when I go and actually take the risk, the relational risk of telling my friend or acquaintance about Jesus and about my relationship with Jesus, that now all the responsibility is off of me. And all of the responsibility is on the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who ultimately convinces a person his story and your story are real. Now, later, John will record how the Holy Spirit is the one who enables and, power, and empowers you and someone you know to believe. So if you're a skeptic about Jesus, I, I want to invite you to open the door a crack and see if you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit whispering in your heart's ear, it's true. He's true. This story isn't just a story. He is alive and wants to be alive in you. You can trust in him and believe all of this matters and will give you hope and best of all, eternal life. Eternal life that doesn't just begin when your physical body dies on this earth, but eternal life that begins right now 
when you truly believe. You know, I, I can remember my early days of faith, and I, a few nights ago, told you about Camp Odioqua up the road here, went there on Tuesday afternoon, took pictures again of that spot where I met Jesus for the first time. It, it, it was wonderful. But I have to be honest with you, um, after that, and, and, and on and on, I wasn't 100% sure what all of this meant and that I understood all of this, and I frankly ar argued with many people as I grew up and wondered about it. I thought I had to present this compelling case for the veracity of Jesus. And then as a believer, I began to have those kind of debates with my friends, like I had to win the argument to win them to the Lord. But it almost became more in my spirit important to me to win the argument than it was to win them to Jesus. You know, I had to show them that I was the smartest guy in the room. And that's not the case. Because even though I thought I had to be convincing, and even though all of my insecurities kicked in in those debates with skeptics and unbelievers that I talked to, I probably found myself doubting God's call at times when they didn't just turn their lives over to Christ. I found myself doubting myself and perhaps even doubting this message a little bit. But eventually, someone helped me to understand that my job wasn't to do the convincing. That was Jesus' job. My job was to simply share the story accurately. And as I said before, it takes all of the pressure off of you. There's no reason to be afraid of sharing like you think you'll mess it up, and so I don't want to take that risk. Look, even ultimately, all of the greatest orators and evangelists of all time will tell you that their beautiful sermons in and of themselves had nothing to do with people coming to Christ. It was ultimately the truth of their word that the Holy Spirit used to convince an unbeliever to believe. No matter who it is that was sharing the truth, it was God's Spirit that ultimately convinced. And only the Holy Spirit can and will turn a believer, or excuse me, a skeptic into a believer. Will turn a Nathaniel into a follower. So, so let's read it again. Verse 50. Jesus said, because you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You see, Jesus was telling Nathanael that he would be, be able to not only believe he is the Son of God and the King of Israel, but he would ultimately be able to understand God's purpose for his life, the ministry that he would ultimately serve in, and the salvation that will come to him by believing in Jesus. In other words, Nate, you ain't seen nothing yet. And, and that's what we want to make sure we understand, is that sometimes we try to bring people so far down the road and explain to them the deep things of God when they aren't yet in a place where they have the spirit within them to believe all of these amazing, wonderful, mysterious things. Sometimes we need to really get down to the basics and be able to learn how to articulate those basics 
in our mind. You know, the elevator speech. You know, how can I say this simply and succinctly in a way that will at least open up the door to a second conversation? And Jesus is saying to you right now, skeptic, look, I'm just asking you to trust me, asking you to believe in me, and I'll give you forgiveness and a personal peace like you've never known before. And he promises this if you'll meet him face to face. And he promises that this message can actually change the life of one of your friends or your family or even somebody you just met today. If you'll ultimately be intentional, you'll ultimately have it on your mind. You'll be praying about and asking for these opportunities so that you can share this amazing story that you've been blessed by, you've been encouraged by, you've been saved by, so you can share it with someone else. Because let's face it, the last thing we should be doing as followers of Jesus is keeping this amazing transforming message to ourselves. I mean, I just, I look in the mirror and say, if you don't tell anybody about Jesus today, you're just selfish. You're just selfish. You're just afraid. You know, you're just living your life, cruising along, enjoying everything like everybody else does, and you don't realize that you live and breathe with a different mission than the average person out there. This is your greatest opportunity to share Jesus with someone who needs to hear about him. And, and I've got to tell you, holiness people, that the Holy Spirit alive in you has been saying that to you over and over again. And so when you came in this room today, he wanted to remind you that, yeah, great message. It's going to bless your life. You're going to learn new things about how to deal with the challenges this world offers you. Absolutely. But I also want you to know that you have this tremendous opportunity to take this love to others. So today, I've come with two prayers. First, a prayer for the skeptic. Lord, if you're real and true, help me right now to believe in you. And for the follower of Jesus, Lord, show me the skeptics in my life that need to hear your story and my story, <laughs> that need to hear our story. And give me the courage to share it, no matter their response. Let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you have placed before us so much evidence, so much truth from the creation of the world to your resurrection from the dead. And in all of that, you have convinced us with your spirit to believe. I'm asking you to help anyone who hears my voice in person or online today that has yet to trust in you to help them see and believe in the truth. And Lord, I pray for all who follow you that you would remind us what great joy we experience when we walk with you that you would help us to want to share that with someone else. And we pray that your spirit will speak loudly and clearly through our testimony of your story and our story. 
And thank you, Jesus, for creating a story in me. You pray your own prayer and respond. Pray one of those prayers, whichever one you need to pray, and ask the Lord to transform your thinking and your priorities in this moment to share his story and your story with someone else. You pray. And so, Lord, you've heard the prayers of our heart. And we've even called out the names of people you've put in our life. And now we pray you would prepare them for that next encounter we have together. And that you would remind us to share your love, to open the door just a crack so they can hear and with your spirit believe.